0: Some things in America should be simple and straightforward. Perhaps the most important of those things, the most fundamental of those things, is the right to vote. The right to vote freely.
1: I'm with you, Joe. Sing it. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something right. Know it. Absolutely. I'm ain't. so scared in case I fall off my chair and i Get down the stairs Clowns to the left of me Jokers to the right Here I am stuck in the middle with you Here I am from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is The Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV. Out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's, AM 950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. Um, Washington Post's D.C. reporters Carol Lennig and Phil Rucker have a new book called I Alone Can Fix It, Donald J. Trump's Catastrophic Final Year. And The Post ran a lengthy excerpt from it today. Desi Doyen, did you read this excerpt? <laughs> I
2: did not. Oh,
1: you'll enjoy <laughs> it. Uh, it focuses on election night 2020 inside Donald Trump's White House, offering an insight into how the whole big lie that Trump won the election, despite any evidence at all to even to support that, to even suggest that, In any way that it's the case, how that all got started, how it kicked off that moment that night uh, by guess who? Well, you will find out in a moment (laughs) Uh, on on the night of the election after D.C. had blocked Trump's use of the Trump International Hotel in D.C. for his election night party. He took the unprecedented step, you will recall, of using the White House. For his uh, victory party with nearly 400 people. Oh, yes. The choice of location broke with a solemn tradition of never using the White House for overt political purposes, a norm Trump had already tossed aside in August by delivering his Republican National Convention acceptance speech from the South Lawn, writes Lennig and Rucker. Trump. Stepped into the big open floor of cubicles at the White House earlier in the night to give a brief pep talk to scores of assembled staffers who greeted him with raucous applause. A pool of journalists stood nearby to cover his remarks and a reporter asked whether he had prepared an acceptance speech or a concession speech to deliver that evening. No, I'm not thinking about concession speech or acceptance speech yet, Trump said. Hopefully we'll only be doing one of those two. And, you know, winning is easy. Losing is never easy. Not for me, it's not. True. The president's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, had set up his command center upstairs on the party floor. Giuliani sat at a table in the red room with his son Andrew, who worked at the White House in the Office of Public Liaison, staring intensely at a laptop watching vote tallies. The Giulianis made for an odd scene as partygoers swirled around them. After a while, Rudy Giuliani started to cause a commotion. He was telling other guests that he had come up with a strategy for Trump and was trying to get into the president's private quarters to tell him about it. Some people thought Giuliani may have been drinking too much and suggested to Trump campaign manager Bill Stepien that he go talk to the former New York mayor. Stepien, White House chief of staff Mark Meadows and Trump advisor Jason Miller, took Giuliani down to a room just off the map room to hear him out. Giuliani went state by state, asking Stepien, Meadows, and Miller what they were seeing and what their plan was. What's happening in Michigan? Giuliani asked. They said it was too early to tell. Votes were still being counted and they couldn't say. Just say we won, Giuliani told them. Same thing in in Pennsylvania. Just say we won Pennsylvania, Giuliani said. Giuliani's grand plan was to just say Trump won, state after state, based on nothing. Stepien, Miller and Meadows thought his argument was both incoherent and irresponsible. We can't do that, Meadows said, raising his voice. We can't. Well, later in this excerpt, they describe at 1120 p.m. on Fox News, uh, which had just called Arizona for Biden the first news outlet to do so. Trump, who had been watching Fox, was livid. He could not fathom that the conservative news network that he had long considered an extension of his campaign was the first news organization to call Arizona for Biden. What the F is Fox doing, Trump screamed, although he didn't use the word F. Then he barked orders to his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, call Rupert, call James and Lackland. And to Jason Miller, get Salmon, get Hemmer. They've got to reverse this. The president was referring to Fox owner Rupert Murdoch and his sons, James and Lackland, as well as uh, Fox News anchor Bill Hemmer and Bill Salmon, a top news exec at Fox. Trump's tirade continued. What the F, he bellowed. What the F are these guys doing? Giuliani pushed the president to forget about the Arizona call and... Just say he won to step into the East Room and deliver a victory speech. Never mind that Chief of Staff Mark Meadows had earlier snapped at Giuliani and said the president couldn't just declare himself the winner. Just go declare victory right now, Giuliani told Trump. You've got to declare victory now. Giuliani's interjection of his just say you won strategy infuriated Trump's campaign advisors. It's hard to be the responsible parent when there's a cool uncle around talking the kid to uh, t- taking the kid to the movies and driving him around in a Corvette. One of these advisors recalled when we say the president can't say that being responsible is not the easiest place to be. When you've got people telling the president what he wants to hear, it's hard to tell the president no. Well, eventually, as the night went on and things were looking very not good, very, very late at night, Trump decided to deliver remarks to his viewing party and came down into the map room, which had been set up as a situation room, to, uh, to follow the returns that night, where he then yelled at Justin Clark, the deputy campaign manager. Why are they still counting votes, Trump asked. The election's closed. Are they counting ballots that came in afterward? What the hell is going on? The president told advisor Kellyanne Conway that he thought something nefarious was at play. They're stealing this from us, Trump said. We have this thing won. I won in a landslide and they're taking it back. Of course, nobody was taking anything. Election officials were simply doing their duty, counting ballots, but Trump did not see it that way. He seemed to truly believe he had been winning, Lenning, uh, 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 Lenning, Lenig and Rucker Report. Of course, uh, he seemed to truly believe it. His son, Eric Trump, who the night before had predicted to friends that his father would win with 322 electoral college votes, flipped out in the map room. The election is being stolen, the president's 36-year-old son said. Why are these votes, where are these votes coming from? How is this legit? Eventually, he would, uh, Trump, would make his way into the room where all of his partygoers were gathered to make his infamous election night speech, lying about leading in states like Wisconsin and Michigan and declaring... We want all voting to stop. We don't want them to find any ballots at 4
0: o'clock in the morning and add them to the list. Okay? It's, it's a very sad... It's a very sad moment. To me, this is a very sad moment. And we will win this. And we, as far as I'm concerned, we already have won it. So I just want to thank you.
1: Lenig and Rucker say this was an extraordinary accusation for any political candidate to make about an, any election, much less for a sitting president to make about the country's most consequential election. Trump was telling the 74 million people who voted for him not to trust the results. Of course, the crowd at the White House Party, they went wild with a U.S. president declaring that he had won an election that he had not. And as you know, Giuliani's just say we won advice that ended up winning the day. And U.S. democracy has been fighting to overcome that big lie with actual truth ever since. So far... It remains unclear if truth or the big lie will end up winning the day. Uh, So far, the big lie is doing pretty well, and it's being used by Republicans now all over the country to adopt new voter suppression laws on the state level to prevent early voting, absentee voting and other expansions of the franchise that allowed more legal American voters to cast their legal votes in 2020 than ever before. Even more alarming, as far as I'm concerned, are the new provisions that are being adopted in these bills that would allow partisan officials to change, to reverse, to overturn legitimate election results for virtually any reason that they see fit. You know, we can overcome maybe these restrictions on voting, but if you give the right to the, uh, you know, these partisan officials to say, nah, we think it just, we think it goes the other way. We think we want to give it to Trump. We think we want to give it to the Republican, no matter what the results say. If you do that... That makes things very, very difficult and very, very dark in this country. And, of course, they're also including provisions in these bills to threaten election officials with fines if they do not play along. President Joe Biden, during an impassioned speech in Philadelphia on Tuesday, spoke to many of those concerns and the fight of passing federal legislation, H.R. 1, the For the People Act, and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, to counteract, at least in part, what he described as the worst attack on American democracy since the Civil War. Frankly, his speech Uh, On Tuesday, sounded a whole lot like any one of my own rants on this very show. (laughs) Yes, it did. Over the past several months. So I want to play that speech in full today, if I can, uh, since you're most likely going to only hear short sound bites of it elsewhere. But Biden's remarks come as Democrats at the state level in Texas today are quite literally doing everything possible to prevent the passage of a massive voter suppression bill in the Lone Star State. In the story that uh, broke just before airtime, uh, before yesterday's broadcast, Uh, As the Dallas Morning News then picks up the story today and yet another surprise flex of their limited power, Texas House Democrats left the state en masse on Monday to block debate on a contentious GOP backed election bill. Democrats boarded planes to Washington, D.C. with plans to lobby Congress for federal voting rights legislation instead of returning to Austin to complete a 30 day Special session of the legislature called by Republican Governor Greg Abbott largely to pass this bill to suppress the vote to restrict voting after Democrats had walked out on the last day of the regular legislative session back in May, denying Republicans a quorum to pass their voter suppression bill at the time. Their decision to leave the state on Monday, where they are now out of reach of state law enforcement officials who could otherwise arrest them and drag them back by force to the Capitol under state law, that decision effectively now halts work in the Republican-led chamber and kills the election's legislation for now, according to the Dallas Morning News. Democratic leaders of the House said in a joint statement, This is the Texas House quote. We are now taking the fight to our nation's capital. We are living on borrowed time in Texas, they said. It's the second time this year that House Democrats took dramatic action to stop Republicans who control both chambers of the state legislature. ...from advancing their priority election bills. With a majority of the 67 Democrats gone, the House will now not have enough members to pass bills. The state constitution requires two-thirds of the 150 members, or a quorum, to be present to conduct any business at all. The remarkable move was cheered on by Washington Democrats, including Vice President Kamala Harris... She called the uh, lawmakers, quote, uh, she cited the lawmakers, uh, quote, extraordinary courage, which now thrusts the Texas minority party back into the national spotlight as partisan battles over voting rights rage across the nation. But the paper notes the the minority party's power is limited. Abbott can call unlimited power. Special sessions. And members can only stay away for so long. And don't forget, in Texas, the legislature only meets for a few months in a regular session once every two years.
2: Yeah. And they have regular jobs. Correct. They don't get paid.
1: Well, I actually, I think they do get paid, but not yes. very much. Right, Not
2: enough to live on.
1: Correct. Their regular jobs is what, you know, they need to be in the state for. Well, they can't do that if they're doing special sessions. And remember, they can keep calling. Abbott can keep calling these uh, special legislation, uh, special legislative sessions one after another. So this is among the reasons why the state Democrats decided to go to D.C., where they would be out of reach of Texas authorities, but also where they could lobby Congress, specifically. The U.S. Senate to do whatever needed to be done to reform the Senate filibuster to pass the For the People Act and maybe even the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act in order to protect our democracy, which is now fully under attack in a way that I do not believe it has ever been in this country, at least not since the Civil War. In a television interview on Monday, Abbott said that he would be uh, willing to keep calling special sessions, quote, all the way up until uh, until the election next year. He offered harsh words for the Democrats. He said, quote, as soon as they come back to the state of Texas, they will be arrested. They will be cabined inside the Texas Capitol until they get their job done. Republican leaders who named, quote, election integrity a top priority this year broadly criticized the Democrats as abandoning their duties. Well, A, restricting the right to vote is the opposite of election integrity. And B, they are not abandoning their duties. They are carrying them out. They are protecting democracy. That is their duty. They are not undermining it. And all fans of democracy and opponents of autocracy and fascism of any party should be holding these Democrats up today as heroes. State Rep. Jessica Gonzalez of Dallas pushed back on the contention that Democrats are avoiding their responsibilities. She said, we are doing our jobs she told the Morning News uh, while, taking, while waiting to take off to D.C. in one of two chartered planes around 3 p.m. on Monday, paid for, by the way, by the state's House Democratic Caucus. She said, we're going to be taking, uh, talking to Congress. We're advocating for the rights of Texans for their right to vote. This, she said, is the fight of our lives. A couple dozen advocates showed up at the airport to support the walkout. One said Democrats had no choice after Republican lawmakers advanced the voting bills after overnight debates over the weekend, one of which began on Saturday morning, but did not allow any of the hundreds of public speakers who showed up to speak against the bill. They didn't hear any of them until after midnight on Sunday morning before the measure was jammed through, ultimately, on a party line vote in both the House and the Senate committees in advance of a floor vote, which has been prevented, at least in the House, at least for now, that despite the overwhelming opposition from the public, including more than 400 members of the public out of about 480 who showed up to speak, who opposed the bill that House Republicans passed anyway in the wee hours of the morning. It's really democracy at stake, said uh, one of those folks who showed up at the airport, uh, someone from the Texas Freedom Network, clutching a sign that read, Thanks Dems. Democrats arrived at Dulles International Airport in D.C. after 8 p.m. and held a news conference that previewed the case that they said they planned to make this week on Capitol Hill. State Rep. Jasmine Crockett of Dallas told the news that legislators would lobby lawmakers and the president in D.C. to advance the For the People Act. The sweeping legislation aims to overhaul campaign finance rules, set national standards for how elections are run, trumping 19 state laws that now restrict voting by mail and forcing states to accept a sworn statement in lieu of the IDs required by 27 states, including Texas. Hopefully we can get to the point where we are even able to have a sit down with the president, said Crockett. We can really impress upon him and make our pleas that this is serious. At the parking lot news conference, Texas House Democratic Caucus leader Chris Turner said the House members plan to stay out of Texas until the 30-day special session is over. We are doing our jobs. We are the jobs we were elected to represent, represent our con- uh, our constituents, and that is why we are here, he said, because we're not going to sit in Austin in the House chamber and watch the Republican majority steamroll the voting rights of my constituents. Rep. Trey Martinez-Fisher of San Antonio said, We are here today to rally the nation, and we hope the U.S. Senate will hear us and hope that they will pass the For the People Act. He said lawmakers are very emotional, not only about fighting for voting rights, but because they are leaving families and businesses behind. One member of the delegation, quoting the late Congressman John Lewis of Georgia, called the walkout, quote, good trouble. After their remarks, they sang, We Shall Overcome. Now, I've been fighting for nearly 20 years at Bradblog.com and here on the Bradcast to defend and shore up democracy any way that I could. This is, I gotta say, the first moment in all of those years that I feel like we are really at a point where the fight is now about actually saving democracy entirely for future generations the Texas State Democrats have not yet at least to my knowledge spoken to the President about their fight Joe Biden was in Philadelphia on Tuesday carrying out that fight himself his remarks on the need to save democracy itself are next on the broadcast in full because this is the fight of all of our lives as far as I'm concerned I'm Brad Friedman back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. I received an email uh, today via Bradcast at Bradblog.com from listener Ron C., who said, quote, I'm puzzled and a little surprised that you and other lefties are saying with emphasis on the word that Texas Democratic legislators are fleeing, parroting so many news outlets and ostensibly framing it as an act of fear or panic. Why not a better, more accurate, and courageous verb? I responded to say I think he had a pretty good point. I agree. And uh, to ask what might be a better verb to use, he wrote back with a few suggestions. Left, quit, or vacated work, he suggested. Denied quorum sounded... More combative, he said. He thought that sounded better, if not as concise. In truth, I'm not sure what the right word is to explain the heroic efforts of the Texas Democrats. But for all the complaints that I hear about Democrats, when really, at least in the context of the fight for democracy right now, we're largely talking about just two of them. Senators Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, who are currently blocking reform of the Senate's legislative filibuster, reform which would be needed to adopt any voting rights reforms, including H.R. 1, the For the People Act, now known as S 1 in the Senate, and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, with a Republican Party in the Senate that is 100% against protecting American voting rights at this time. The Texas Democrats are showing the entire world what the fight for democracy must look like in breaking the quorum back in Austin in order to prevent the passage of the Republicans' voter suppression bill in the Lone Star State. Well, today in Philadelphia, President Joe Biden stepped up to that fight himself. He declared that preserving voting rights is an urgent national, quote, test of our time. Biden who has proclaimed protecting ballot access the central cause of his presidency has faced no small amount of criticism from allies for not doing more though Senate math has greatly limited his ability to act speaking at the National Constitution Center in Philadelphia Joe Biden called the effort the efforts to curtail voting accessibility quote un-American and undemocratic and launched a broadside against his predecessor, who baselessly alleged misconduct in the 2020 election after his defeat. Biden called passage of congressional proposals to override new state voting restrictions being passed by Republicans and to restore parts of the Voting Rights Act that were curbed in recent years by the Supreme Court, quote, a national imperative. Here's the president's remarks today in Philadelphia in full.
0: Good afternoon. Uh, there's a serious subject I'd like to talk about today. I'm here in Philadelphia the National Constitution Center, the city and the place where the story of we, the people, we, the people, began. It's a story that's neither simple nor straightforward. That's because the story is the sum of our parts, and all those parts are fundamentally human. And being human is to be imperfect, driven by appetite and ambition, as much as by goodness and grace. But some things in America should be simple and straightforward. Perhaps the most important of those things, the most fundamental of those things, is the right to vote. The right to vote freely. The right to vote freely, the right the right to vote fairly, the right to have your vote counted. The, the democratic threshold is liberty. With it, anything's possible. Without it, nothing, nothing. And for our democracy and the work and to deliver our work and our people, it's up to all of us to protect that right. This is a test of our time, what I'm here to talk about today. Just think about the past election. A 102-year-old woman in Arkansas who voted for the first time on the very spot she once picked cotton. A 94-year-old woman in Michigan voted early and in person in her 72nd consecutive election. Know what she said? She said this election was, quote, the most important vote that we ever had. The daughter who voted in memory of her dad, who died of COVID-19, so others wouldn't have the experience of pain and darkness and loss that she was going through. The Patients out there. And the, and, and, and the parents. The parents who voted for school, their children will learn it. Sons and daughters voted for the planet they're going to live on. Young people just turning 18 and everyone who, for the first time in their lives, thought they could truly make a difference. America, America, and Americans of every background voted. They voted for good jobs and higher wages. They voted for racial equity and justice. They voted to make health care a right and not a privilege. And the reason that Americans went to vote and the lengths they went to vote, to be able to vote in this past election, were absolutely extraordinary. In fact, the fact that so many election officials across the country made it easier and safer for them to be able to vote in the middle of a pandemic is remarkable. As a result, in 2020, more people voted in America than ever, ever in the history of America in the middle of a -a once-in-a-century pandemic. All told more than 150 Americans of every age, of every race, of every background, exercised their right to vote. They voted early, they voted absentee, they voted in person, they voted by mail, they voted by drop box, and then they got their families and friends to go out and vote. Election officials, the entire electoral system, withstood unrelenting political attacks, physical threats. Intimidation and pressure. They did so with unyielding courage and faith in our democracy. With recount after recount after recount, court case after court case, the 2020 election was the most scrutinized election ever in American history. Challenge after challenge brought to local, state, and election officials, state legislatures, state and federal courts even to the United States Supreme Court, not once, but twice. More than 80 judges, including those appointed by my predecessor, heard the arguments. In every case, neither cause nor evidence was found to undermine the national achievement of administering the historic election in the face of such extraordinary challenges. Audits, recounts were conducted... In Arizona and Wisconsin. In Georgia, it was recounted three times. It's clear for those who challenge the results and question the integrity of the election, no other election has ever been held under such scrutiny and such high standards. The big lie is just that, a big lie. 2020 election, it's not hyperbole, it suggests the most examined and the fullest expression of the will of the people in the history of this nation. This should be celebrated. An example of America at its best. But instead, we continue to see an example of human nature at its worst. Something darker and more sinister. In America, if you lose, You accept the results. You follow the Constitution. You try again. You don't call facts fake and then try to bring down the American experiment just because you're unhappy. That's not statesmanship. That's not statesmanship. That's selfishness. That's not democracy. It's a denial of the right to vote. It suppresses, it subjugates. The denial of full and free and fair election is the most un-American thing that any of us can imagine. The most undemocratic, the most unpatriotic, and sadly, not unprecedented. From denying enslaved people full citizenship until the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments after the Civil War, to denying women the right to vote until the 19th Amendment 100 years ago, to poll taxes and literacy tests and the Ku Klux Klan campaigns of violence and terror that lasted in the 50s and 60s. To the Supreme Court decision in 2013 and then again just two weeks ago, a decision that weakened the landmark Voting Rights Act. To the willful attacks, election attacks in 2020. And then to a whole other level of threat the violence and the deadly insurrection on the Capitol on January 6th. I just got back from Europe, speaking of the G7 and the NATO. They wonder, not a joke, they wonder, Gov. They ask me, is it going to be okay? The citadel democracy in the world, is it going to be okay? Time and again, we've weathered threats to the right to vote and Free and fair elections. And each time we found a way to overcome. And that's what we must do today. Vice President Harris and I have spent our careers doing this work. And I've asked her to lead, to bring people together to protect the right to vote in our democracy. And it starts with continuing the fight to pass H.R. 1, the For the People Act. That bill, that bill would help end voter suppression in the states, get dark money out of politics, give voice to the people at the grassroots level, create a fairer district maps, and end partisan political gerrymandering. Last month, Republicans opposed even debating, even considering for the People's Act. Senate Democrats stood united to protect our democracy and the sanctity of the vote, we must pass the For the People Act. It's a national imperative. We must also fight for the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act to restore and expand... ...restore and expand voting protections to prevent voter suppression all the Congresswomen and men here there's a bunch of you. You knew, John, many of you. Just weeks ago, the Supreme Court yet again weakened the Voting Rights Act and upheld what Justice Kagan called, quote, a significant race-based disparity in voting opportunities. The Court's decision, as harmful as is does not limit the Congress's ability to repair the damage done. That's the important point. Puts the burden back on Congress to restore the Voting Rights Act to its intended strength. As soon as Congress passes the For the People Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, I will sign it and let the whole world see it. That will be an important moment. And the world is wondering, And Dwight knows what I'm talking about. For real. You know, the world is wondering, what is America going to do? But We also have to be clear-eyed about the obstruction we face. Legislation is one tool, but not the only tool. And it's not the only measure of our obligation to defend democracy today. For example, Attorney General Merrick Garland announced that the United States Department of Justice is going to be using its authorities to challenge the onslaught of state laws undermining voting rights in old and new ways. The focus will be on dismantling racially discriminatory laws, like the recent challenge to Georgia's vicious anti-voting law. The Department of Justice will do so with a voting rights division that my request is doubling its size and enforcement staff. <laughs> civil rights groups civil rights groups and other organizations have announced their plans to stay vigilant and challenge these odious laws in the courts. In Texas, for example, Republican-led state legislature wants to allow partisan poll watchers. To intimidate voters and imperil and and impartial uh, poll workers. They want voters to dive further and be able to be in a position where they wonder who's watching them and intimidating them. To wait longer to vote. To drive a hell of a lot long, excuse me, a long way to get to vote. They want to make it so hard and inconvenient that they hope people don't vote at all. That's what this is about. This year alone, 17 states have enacted, not just proposed, but enacted, 28 new laws to make it harder for Americans to vote. Not to mention, and catch this, nearly 400 additional bills Republican members of the state legislatures are trying to pass. The 21st century Jim Crow assault is real. It's unrelenting. And we're going to challenge it vigorously while while this broad assault against voting rights is not unprecedented. It's taking on a new and literally pernicious forms. It's no longer just about who gets to vote or making it easier for eligible voters to vote. It's about who gets to count the vote. Who gets to count whether or not your vote counted at all? It's about moving from independent election administrators who work for the people, to polarized state legislatures and partisan actors who work for political parties. To me, this is simple. This is election subversion. It's the most dangerous threat to voting and the integrity of free and fair elections in our history. Never before have they decided who gets to count, count, what votes count. Some, some state legislators want to make it harder for you to vote. And if you vote, they want to be able to tell you your vote doesn't count for any reason they make up. They want the ability to reject the final count and ignore the will of the people if their preferred candidate loses. And they're trying, not only targeting people of color, they're targeting voters of all races and backgrounds with a simple target. Who did not vote for them? That's the target. It's unconscionable. I mean, really, it's hard to, it's, it's hard to declare just how critical this is. It's simply unconscionable. We've got to shore up our election system and address the threats to election subversion, not just from abroad, which I spent time with Putin talking about, but from home. From home. We must ask those who represent us at the federal, state, and local levels, will you deny the will of the people? Will you ignore their voices? We have to ask, are you on the side of truth or lies, fact or fiction, justice or injustice? Democracy or autocracy, that's what it's coming down to. Which brings me perhaps the most important thing we have to do. We have to forge forge a coalition of Americans of every background and political party. The advocates, the students, the faith leaders, the labor leaders, the business executives. And raise the urgency of this moment. Because as much as people know they're screwing around with the election process, I don't think that most people think this is about who gets to count what vote counts? Literally, not figuratively. You vote for certain electors to vote for somebody for president. State legislature comes along under their proposal, and they say, no, we don't like those electors. We're going to appoint other electors we are going to vote for the other guy or other woman. Because here's the deal. In 2020, democracy was put to a test. First by the pandemic, then by a desperate attempt to deny the reality and the results of the election, and then by violent and deadly insurrection on the Capitol, the citadel of our democracy. I've been around a long time in public life. I thought I've seen it all or most of it all, but I never thought I'd see that for real. And in spite of what you see on television and you saw it, You have senators saying it was just a day at the the Capitol, just people visiting the Capitol. Folks, but we met the test because of the extraordinary courage of election officials, many of them Republicans, our court system, and those brave Capitol Police officers. Because of them, democracy held. Look how close it came. I mean, for real, how close it came. We're gonna face another test in 2022, a new wave of unprecedented voter suppression and raw and sustained election subversion. We have to prepare now. As I said time and again, no matter what, you can never stop the American people from voting. They will decide and the power must always be with the people. That's why just like we did in 2020, we have to prepare for 2022. We'll engage in an all-out effort to educate voters about the changing laws, register them to vote, and then get the vote out. We'll encourage people to run for office themselves at every level. We'll be asking my Republican friends in Congress and states and cities and counties to stand up for God's sake and help prevent this concerted effort to undermine our election and the sacred right to vote. Have you no shame? Whether it's stopping foreign interference in our elections or the spread of disinformation from within, we have to work together. Vice President Harris and I will be making it clear that there's real peril in making raw power rather than the idea of liberty the centerpiece of the common life. Founders understood this. The women of Seneca Falls understood this. The brave heroic foot soldiers of the civil rights movement understood this. So must we. This isn't about Democrats or Republicans. It's literally about who we are as Americans. It's that basic. It's about the kind of country we want today. The kind of country we want for our children and grandchildren tomorrow. And quite frankly, the whole world is watching. (laughs) Folks, I'm not being sentimental. I'm not preaching to you. I'm just giving it to you straight as I promised I would always do. Lay things out on the line. Honor your trust with trust. So hear me clearly. There's an unfolding assault taking place in America today, an attempt to suppress and subvert the right to vote in fair and free elections, an assault on democracy, an assault on liberty, an assault on who we are, who we are as Americans. For make no mistake, bullies and merchants of fear, peddlers of lies, are threatening the very foundation of our country. It gives me no pleasure to say this. I never thought in my entire career I'd ever have to say it. But I swore an oath to you, to God, to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution. And that's an oath that forms a sacred trust to defend America against all threats, both foreign and domestic. The assault on free and fair elections is just such a threat, literally. I've said it before. We're facing the most significant test of our democracy since the Civil War. That's not hyperbole. Since the Civil War. The Confederates back then never breached the Capitol, as insurrectionists did on January the 6th. I'm not saying this to alarm you. I'm saying this because you should be alarmed. I'm also saying this. There's good news. It doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be, for real. We have the means. We just need the will. The will to save and strengthen our democracy. We did in 20, we did in the 2020. The battle for the soul of America, in that battle, the people voted. Democracy prevailed. Our Constitution held. We have to do it again. My fellow Americans, it requires fair-mindedness, devotion to justice, corny as it sounds, love a country. It requires us to unite in common purposes, declares here and now, we, the people, will never give up. We will not give in. We will overcome, we will do it together. Guaranteeing the right to vote, ensuring every vote is counted, has always been the most patriotic thing we can do. Just remember, our late friend John Lewis said, freedom is not a state, it's an act. Freedom is not a state, it's an act. And we must act and we will act. For our cause is just, our vision is clear. And our hearts are full for we the people for our democracy for america itself we must act god bless you all and may god protect our troops and all those who stand to watch over our democracy but act, got to act. Act.
1: that was president joe biden speaking on tuesday at the national constitution center in philadelphia Green News Report is next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. I don't know if uh, listeners are encouraged or not from listening to Joe Biden's remarks there in Philadelphia. Yeah. I was uh, glad to hear him say it. And like I said, it sounded a hell of a lot like any number of rants you might have heard from me on this show over the past uh, month or so. So I wanted to play that there in full. But if you weren't encouraged, never fear, because now it's time for the Green News (laughs) Report, which is always nothing but... Not so much today. <laughs> Maybe not. Uh, anyway, apologies in, in advance for our latest Green News report.
2: Historic heat fueling wildfires in Oregon, threatening power lines, and the Golden State's ability to import electricity. Western electric grid tested by wildfires and third extreme heat wave in a month.
1: This is jaw-dropping. Those are the effects of climate change.
2: California Governor Gavin Newsom expands state drought emergency. June 2021, the hottest June ever recorded in U.S history. Plus... Who's the absolute last person
1: in the world who anyone should trust to run a weather channel?
2: Fox News to launch its own <laughs> weather channel.
1: All of those stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyle. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. If you want to make electric cars the choice for Americans, you don't try to hit them with guilt and virtue signaling and right. tying it to a climate
0: crisis that does not exist.
1: I don't know why anyone wouldn't trust Fox News for a weather channel, this is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, this summer is turning out to be the summerest of all summers.
2: (laughs) Yes, it is. The weekend saw the third record heat wave sweep through the west since the beginning of June, and we're not even at peak summer temperatures yet. For the second consecutive year, Death Valley, California, set a world record for the all-time hottest temperature recorded on the planet, hitting 130 degrees Fahrenheit Mm. on Friday. If confirmed, it would be the hottest reliably measured temperature in world history. Why
1: do you say reliable?
2: Well, because the previous temperature was back in 1930 Thirteen, uh, and it's not necessarily reliable.
1: Thermometers weren't so good in 1913.
2: Death Valley also set a new record for the hottest overnight temperature in North America just under 108 degrees that's the second hottest overnight temperature in world history climate scientists say the observed increase in overnight temperatures is a clear signal of man-made global warming and it's not just the US Europe and Scandinavia also saw record heat. A Norwegian town way above the Arctic Circle hit 90 93 degrees Fahrenheit, the highest temperature ever recorded at that latitude. Wow. NOAA announced that June 2021 globally was the fourth hottest June on record since record keeping began in the 1880s, but also said, not surprisingly, it was the hottest June on record for North America. NOAA also says that so far in 2021, the nation has been hit by eight billion dollar weather disasters. That's disasters causing economic losses of more than a billion dollars each, with the Texas freeze and blackout earlier this year, leading the pack as the most costly.
1: And we haven't even gotten to the peak of the Atlantic hurricane season yet.
2: Nope. This latest round of extreme heat and drought is pressuring every point of the West's electric grid and sparked enormous new wildfires that are currently burning nearly 800,000 acres in 12 states. Californians have been asked to conserve electricity after a fast-growing wildfire in Oregon knocked out a high-voltage transmission line that delivers a huge chunk of power to the state. The Federal Bureau of Reclamation announced that widespread drought conditions in the West are driving water levels at the Colorado River's two main reservoirs toward catastrophically low levels at a much faster pace than they projected just three months ago. The agency warns that Lake Mead near Las Vegas is likely to crash to catastrophically low levels within the next four years, triggering painful mandatory water cuts to Arizona and Nevada. Water levels in critical California reservoirs are already so low that some of the state's hydroelectric dams are on the verge of shutting down within months for the first time in their history. California's Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom has issued a water conservation order asking all residents, businesses, and farms to voluntarily cut water use by 15 percent. In a press conference last week, Newsom cited accelerating climate change as he expanded a drought state of emergency to encompass 50 of the state's 58 counties.
1: This is jaw-dropping. Those are the effects of climate change. It's here, it's real, it's human-induced. impacts, acute impacts are happening decades before even the scientists had predicted. But not decades before you had predicted, Desi Doyen.
2: In accountability news, the European Commission has fined the Volkswagen Group and BMW $1 billion for colluding with automaker Daimler to hold back, literally to keep secret, the development of technology that could have reduced harmful emissions from their vehicles. Really? Finally, as the American public's hunger for reliable information about climate change and extreme weather is growing, Fox News, famous for pushing disinformation about the climate crisis, has announced it is launching a 24-hour weather news channel later this year. Great. Climate and meteorology experts are worried that Fox will do to weather and climate reporting what they've already done to fact- and reality-based journalism, delivering propagandized weather. Harvard scientist Jeffrey Supran told The Guardian, quote, If Fox News Weather Channel perverts news about weather, anything like they have perverted news about climate and energy, then millions of Americans will be further misled about this crisis. And I would say that could have deadly consequences. Yeah,
1: I'm sitting here thinking, what do you mean if? That's exactly what they will do. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brandt Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyle. And this has been your Green News Report.
2: Running on, running on empty. Running on, running yeah.
1: We are running low on time here. Have to get out. My <laughs> thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is always an honor. It is always appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com, all of which is made possible by those of you kind enough to stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help Desi Doyen and i stay me stay on your public airwaves you can drop me email if you like i'd love to hear from you what did you think of joe biden's speech on tuesday i am bradcast at bradblog.com and you can find me on the facebook's and the twitter's anytime at the brad blog we'll see you there until we see you here next time i'm brad friedman and i mean it good luck world